0: Hello, welcome back to another episode of Out the Gate. I'm Ben Shaw, your host for this show about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. Not too long ago, I drove down to Monterey to join Kevin Wassbauer aboard his beautiful Far 53 named Atalanta. Kevin purchased her in 2020 and spent a year during the pandemic refitting her and he's using her as the flagship of his newly-launched charter business called Shearwater Sailing. We had a rollicking sail out on Monterey Bay with a couple of wonderful downwind runs with a shoot-up. It was fantastic. But before we went out on the water, I sat down with Kevin to talk with him about his past sailing experience, which includes competing in the Fastnet, the Heineken Regatta, TransPAC, and many other races across the Atlantic and Pacific, and now how he's bringing his current sailing dreams to life. Let's go. Well, I am so excited to do this interview because when we are sitting on a beautiful boat, which I saw when it was in the midst of a refit and now as you just said, Kevin, boats are never done, but uh, it's through stage one. Before we jump in, let me have you quickly just introduce yourself. Thanks, Ben.
1: Yeah, good morning. I'm so happy to be on the podcast. Um, I'm Kevin Wasbauer, and I am the owner of Shearwater Sailing, and that is a charter company that I am just getting off the ground that I've been working on during the pandemic, and i
0: just launching now. Awesome, and we'll definitely get to the story of how you got the idea how you launched it but let's start with this gorgeous boat tell us well what's the name atalanta atalanta is
1: a greek goddess and she was a hunter that hunted with a bow and arrow okay atalanta what's her story the story of this boat is that it was commissioned um, in the late 80s by a yachtsman in annapolis and it was built by the McGaffin Brothers Boatyard in New Zealand um, to a Bruce Farr design number 154 and it was really um, the design spec was to have a very comfortable boat it's 53 feet long because it was built in New Zealand and they have a lot of rough water sailing and also because that was what the owner wanted the boat was built quite robustly the main bulkheads there are about nine inches thick so the boat is very solid. Uh, it weighs 38,000 pounds, but it was also designed to have a good turn of speed as a lot of far boats did back in the eighties. It was a really good time for them. The boat is a shoal draft. So it has a seven and a half foot deep keel with a wing, a small wing on it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was a little unsure about when I got the boat cause I come from a racing background. And so was, you know, um, I'm, I'm all about deep draft boats yeah. and, um, uh, but now having had a chance to sail the boat a few times, find that it does actually quite well, sailing upwind. So it's
0: been a pleasant surprise. Well, she's a fast boat. As you said, she doesn't skimp on comfort. And tell us how you found her. Yeah.
1: Okay. So the, the boat uh, lived for the last something around 25 years um, at uh, the St. Francis Yacht Club. It was owned by a past Commodore there. Um, who enjoyed the boat a lot? Took the boat to Mexico a number of times. Mm. Um, you're sitting in the salon, and the interior of the boat is made out of tawa, which is a New Zealand hardwood, and it's now quite hard to find. But back it's then, a very nice light wood. Yeah, it's a light, it's a lighter color wood, and you'll notice that the boat doesn't have a headliner, so um, uh-huh. so the interior of the boat is quite bright. And so the boat lived at the St. Francis for all of that time. Then, when the previous owner was ready to move up, um, this boat came available. So, I was able to pick up the boat, and he had done a lot of work to uh, maintain the interior to a high standard. The boat has been taken good care of with fresh varnish, and um, you know the interior looks great. Some of the you know the boat didn't get used a lot in the last few years, so some of the systems underneath the floorboards as we started to pull them up. Um, you know, they were a lot of the original systems from yeah. 80s designs, which was kind of a different design philosophy, you know, a lot of mechanical things rather than current thinking on, on design, which is using a lot more electrical and a lot more, you know, like, for example, we have, um, like, I think there's six or seven hydraulic rams on the boat, right, uh-huh. for the various rigging things, and nowadays yeah. you just you just don't have that, you know. So, um, But since it was all there already we decided to go ahead and um you know do a complete overhaul of the hydraulics and now all of the hydraulics work um including um we have a mast ram which is really nice when you want to do tuning on the rig Mm -hmm. because the the rod rigging is quite heavy and uh, you can't really turn the turnbuckles with the rig under load so being able to take the rig off jack is uh is is pretty handy
0: and you can put new uh Standing rigging on the
1: the rod was all was all fairly new. Oh great! We did pull the rig out of the boat, and we um, and again as another kind of eighties thing, which you would see like on you know higher end custom boats. This one had a lot of fairing done in the rig, and so we actually blasted all of the paint and the fairing off of both the mast and the boom, and had it repainted um, without the fairing, which um, you know uh, just it it makes things easier to see. Like we had a little bit of cracking in the gooseneck. And so we got that all welded up, but we couldn't see it until we blasted all that fairing off. So um, I think we did, you know, and then we pulled, you know, obviously redid the chain plates and all the other rigging stuff, and um, did a pretty, pretty thorough overhaul. But the the rods new.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how the not only the gear, obviously electronics, and uh, but but the philosophy of how to to wire and how to rig a boat
1: changes yeah for example um the boat was built with conduit right so there's conduit for all of yeah. the electrical wiring and nowadays you know the wire wire's all waterproof so they don't even use conduit anymore and the conduits presented a whole lot of really interesting challenges because it was basically the wire was put in and then the conduit was was attached to the boat so oh, gosh there's 90 degree angles and stuff in the boat where you can't run wire through again you know like once it's there it's there and so it's just been a really interesting um, process, and I've had a lot of really. I'm, I'm fortunate that I've had a lot of really smart people. Um, I can't say enough about the people that have been doing the work on the boat. It's been uh, it's been a lot of uh, a steep learning curve for me, but um, I had a lot of really seasoned pros doing
0: the work, so that was that was a big help. That's fantastic. Always helpful for the work, and for the advice, and figuring out how to do things because there are so many different ways to approach it. Right. Let's jump back before the boat and talk about where the idea slash dream of sheer water sailing which is what you're calling the charter company that's right yeah um so the idea
1: was hatched a couple of years ago um in i've been i've had my day job for 20 years now and i work mostly at a desk and it's it's fine it's been a good career and i've enjoyed it um doing what I'm a fundraiser for universities and schools. But a couple years ago, decided that I was interested, I was coming up on 50 and yeah. so I was uh, thinking about life and I was interested in seeing you know, if I could get back into doing really what my first love is, which is being on the water. And I had a Santana 35 at that time that I had purchased up in San Francisco and sailed down here to Monterey and did a lot of day sailing on that and really enjoyed it. And at some point, was having some conversations with my friends and, you know, sort of realized that, like, if you have something that you're good at and you're passionate about, that's a gift. And so they really encouraged me to explore the idea of, of doing that and looking at different options and so to think hard about how I could make this purpose that I had in my mind and sort of how it would manifest. And so I had been thinking about, you know, the idea of doing charters, and I, I just... I really love your interview with Andy Shell It was super interesting, and I've been following his podcast for a long time. Mm-hmm. It was you know, inspired by their company and um, how they've done their business. It was really just cool to see how that worked. And then there's, of course, so many other people that do it that you've interviewed, some of them, John Kretschmer and others that have been just uh, you know really a kind of an, a guide for me. Um, and I thought, well, I like the idea of doing passages, and I've done a, you know, a lot of uh, Transpac races and you know Atlantic crossings and stuff, and um, I like the idea of doing that. I don't want to do that all the time because yeah. I have a couple of little kids at home, and I like being at home, and um, I'm just not the kind of person that wants to be at sea full time. So I figured, is there a way that I could do some kind of combination where I could do local charters? I live in Monterey. Monterey Bay is an amazing place yeah. with... An incredible abundance of wildlife and just beautiful scenery and it's a wonderful place to sail so I thought maybe I could do some day charters in Monterey and then combine it with some overnighters where we sail across the bay up to Santa Cruz and spend the night there maybe we go down to uh, spend a couple of days and go down to the Channel Islands Um, and then ultimately down the road you know to do longer trips like to Mexico and Hawaii where we can take people on board, and that would be more like the model of Fifty Nine North, where they they actually right. have guests that come on for longer trips like that. And so, that's how the idea was was really born. And I thought I, there's enough tourist traffic and enough, um, I think, sailors in northern and central California that are interested in getting more experience and you know um, getting ready to do bare boat chartering, for example, that there would be a market for it um, here. So that's what I'm exploring. I just Launched my website um, like a week ago, and I'm you know just starting to get online, and but I'm keeping my day job for now, doing this on the weekends and in my more in my spare time, just to kind of see what the market is and mm-hmm. test it out before jumping in with both feet.
0: Well, let's plug that website for anybody who might be interested in coming sailing with you. It's that ShearwaterSailing.net, right? That's right. Uh, you can see pictures of the boat there, so you can get a better idea of what we're talking about. And you do have a wonderful boat for when you decide to. Do some longer passages. You were just showing me the the bunks with the the pilot berths and the and the uh, uh, lee cloths and lee, ble- <coughs> lee col- cloths and lee boards, uh, wonderfully set up for for passages at some point in the future. But talk a little bit about that decision point. Obviously, you said this was kind of something you started thinking about a couple of years ago, but there must have been mulling around in your head longer than that. And what triggered? actually executing. Yeah.
1: I have a long background in sailing, and I spent most of my 20s working on racing boats in the Caribbean and the Med, and and then did a lot of racing here in California um, when I was um, also working at the time. And so I I always kind of felt like I I missed a little bit of that lifestyle Mm -hmm. um, of just being on the boat a lot, working on boats, and Um, I had a period of time a couple of years ago where I was in between jobs for about six months. And during that time, I did a lot of boat work and was helping out with people here in Monterey that had racing yachts. And I was, you know, doing some regattas and um, just I was back in the boat scene a lot more than I had been for a long time. Uh Uh-huh. And I think it was that kind of moment where I would just realize like, this is what I really love to do. Mm-hmm. I love just tinkering. I love working on boats. I love sailing boats. I love talking about boats, being around people that like boats, and I'm just a boat person at heart. And so I think that's that was kind of the time where i this the idea sort of, without me really knowing it, I think in my subconscious, it started to germinate. And then when I was having these conversations shortly thereafter with my friends, they're like, yeah, you should do that. Figure out a way to make that happen.
0: So how did you figure out a way to make that happen?
1: I started going on yachtworld.com and looking at boats and thinking about, like, what would make a good boat. I read a lot of things that people have written about, you know, in particular, like, I keep coming back to Andy, but, you know, his whole process with his Swan 48 and then his 59 and what that, you know, what that was like and what made a good boat for what he was doing. So I started looking around for like Swan 53s and kind of in that range and found a number of them, but they were all either prohibitively expensive or they were just beat up and yeah. were going to require a ton of work. And so I hadn't really found anything, in it. So it, and the idea was still not you know, formed in my mind. I knew I needed a boat somewhere in that size range because I needed to have enough berths, single berths, to be able to take six people passages, and anything under about 48 feet is pretty hard to find. So I was looking at boats in the 50-foot range, 50 to sort of 58, uh, and this boat came on the market, and it sort of found me. It yeah. was one of those things where I saw it, and I was like, man, if that's what I think it is, and I just drove straight up to Sausalito and looked at it, and I was like,
0: yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the platform that I need right there. I love that story, because I've had similar experiences where you look long enough and you know what you're looking for, that when the boat pops up, you see it and you say, if that's actually what I think it is, yeah, that's the boat. Yep, that's exactly what happened. So
1: I, was, I feel super fortunate in that regard. It sort of felt like the universe was telling me something. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's awesome. And you mentioned um, you have a couple kids and a wife. What do they think of this venture? Oh, they're really supportive of it.
1: I mean, my kids like to come down on the boat. We, um, When the boat was up in the Bay Area being refit, we spent, you know, a number of weekends up there. Um, you know, it's a comfortable boat, and, yeah. it you know, it has a lot of the amenities that a Santana 35 doesn't have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little different. Yeah, and so, you know, for them, it's just, you know, for my wife, it's a lot more comfortable. We can actually cook on the boat and, you know, spend time here without feeling like we're in a pup tent, you know. Yeah. And, you uh, so it's good. And, you know, she's, she's, they are all very supportive of this idea and want to help me. I have a 13 year old and an eight year old. So the 13 year old, yeah, is already, you know, like talking about, I want to help you out, you That's know, when crazy. you do charters and stuff. And then my, my little one is also talking about that. We like to talk about what, what the future of the business might look like. And um, I have some, you know, some big plans for sort of my long term. Goals for the business, and I'm you know, so I'm talking to them a lot about that and trying to kind of figure out what the appetite is, you know, for everybody. Make sure that the family's bought in,
0: in terms of buying in financially, how do you make that work in terms of jumping into a new business? Yeah, mm, right, major cost up front. Yeah,
1: good question. I'll give you one word answer investors, (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't have done it on my own. I mean, the boat. The boat was uh, was um, was very reasonably offered, and so I, I picked it up for a great deal, but then took a lot of investment to get the boat um, to the stat- state that it's in now, uh, and I had some help with that, and I took on some debt, too, so, I'll, you know, those are all things that are part of the equation, you know, but I'm hoping that the, you know, that it will pencil out, as my friend likes to say, so yeah, yeah. I think down the road, um, you know, it will, in hindsight, it will turn out to have been a good
0: investment. And Since you've already evoked his name a couple of times, Andy Schell has a saying that I think he took from David Byrne, which is never for money, always for love. Right. So, you know, you're back doing something you love doing. Yeah. I really think, you know, when you turn,
1: it's one of those milestone birthdays, right? You turn 50 and you start to look around and say, okay, well, you know, you don't have too many more shots to kind of reinvent yourself. And here's one of them. And here's a chance
0: and an opportunity I had. And I just went for it. I am approaching that milestone quickly, so uh, I know what you're talking about personally. Let's talk a little bit. You grew up in Sacramento, right? Right. That's right. So how did you get into sailing? I
1: actually started um, sailing on a lake there called Lake Natoma. It's out near Folsom Lake. And it was the very, very early, in fact, it was the first year that there was um, an aquatic camp that was um, put on there by um, Cal State University, Sacramento. Okay. They had a sailing camp there, which I took, and I think I was, I don't know, probably I was less than 10. I think I was maybe eight. I loved the sailing, and we were sailing optimists, and we were sailing lasers, and I just was super into it. And that kind of just sparked my love for it. My parents don't sail, they don't know anything about it. But I had spent some time on the water fishing with my dad, salmon fishing, and so was you know comfortable on boats. And then when I discovered sailing, I just loved it. And so I kept at it and raced throughout high school and then in college, uh, sailed for my team. Um, Where then, was that? Uh, I went to Lewis and Clark College oh, in Portland. Oh yeah, sure, yeah. Yep, and uh, so we sailed in that um, division up there in the Northwest. And then right after college, I got a job working for Mark Rudiger in Sausalito. Many, many people will know that name. Amazing sailor and an amazing human being. And I was super fortunate to spend a year at his sail loft learning the learning the craft and also just learning about racing sailboats because he was really getting to the top of his game at that point and doing some amazing stuff. He was sailing in the Volvo and you know just doing incredible, incredible things, and so I was grateful to be a part of that. And then after that, I um, got a job working um, for a brokerage in Europe that was the um, brokerage for Jungert Yachts, which is a, they're kind of a big sailing super yachts in the okay. 22 to 35 meter range. So you were living over there in Europe? No, Well, yes, I, was, I got on a boat uh, here and ended up down in um, San Diego. And then the owner of the company flew me over to Antibes, Mm-hmm. And I spent a year in Antibes working on, living on a boat there and working on for that company. And then I jumped over onto a Swan 70 that um, was racing in the Med and spent a couple of years back and forth in Med to the Caribbean with them. What boat was that? Uh, it was a boat, at the time it was called Splendid, and I think it's been sold and renamed a couple of times since then. But, wow. Um, that was a fun experience, and I learned a lot from that one
0: as well. A Swan seventy, yeah, that must have been a lot of fun. Yeah, you were racing that.
1: Yeah, we were racing the boat quite actively, and um, you know, did the Fastnet race mm-hmm. and um, a <clears throat> bunch of the regattas in the Caribbean, and um, and that was it. it was a great experience. And but after that, when I was sort of getting to my late twenties, I was sort of feeling like. I'd been doing it for a number of years and living out of my boat bag was getting less appealing and I was thinking about going to graduate school and so I decided to come back to the States and um, go to school, finish my master's degree and then get a job. And so that's how I I got a degree in English literature and ended up discovering the whole field of fundraising which back Mm -hmm. in the 90s and early 2000s a lot of people just kind of backed into and that's sort of how I found it. I worked at Stanford for the first eight years of my career Uh, And then have worked at a number of other places since then. Did you know you wanted to come back to the Bay Area? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think uh, after I had finished up with my work on the big boats, I met my girlfriend at the time and now my wife. And she got a job actually first at Stanford and started working there as a research director basically at that time said, well, I'm going to move and take a new job, and you can come if you want. <laughs> I know that story. That's how I ended up in yeah. San Francisco. Yeah, and so I decided to do that, and then uh, through some connections she had, actually was able to get a job working at their in their fundraising office, which is an amazing place to learn because uh-huh. uh, they do it all at a very high level. I would
0: imagine, yeah. 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 So were you guys down on the peninsula by... Yeah, we were living in Half
1: Moon Bay, and she was working in San Francisco, and I was um, working at Stanford. And so we did that for eight years total. I was working at Stanford. And then I got a job offer to come down and run a fundraising office down here at an institute here in Monterey. I
0: have to admit, I haven't spent a lot of time here. I've been a tourist. I've done a little diving here. But I've never sailed in Monterey Bay, which is going to change today, thanks to you. I'm really excited about that. How is the sailing in Monterey Bay different than in San Francisco? Yeah, it is quite different. I think there's a number of things.
1: San Francisco has the advantage of being sheltered, right? I mean, you Uh don't really have Pacific swell to deal with, right? And Mm -hmm. Monterey Bay is an open roadstead, so you get big Pacific swell here. That's That's a big difference. And San Francisco has a lot of microclimates and different parts of the bay you can go to. If you want big wind, you know where to go. If you want sheltered areas and warm temperatures, you know where to go. Here it's a little more homogenous, but I would say it's also generally, my experience has been that it's less windy than the windiest parts of San Francisco Bay and windier than the than the less windy parts of the day. Sure, so, sure. Uh, it's, it's Somewhere kind of in the a, middle there. It's kind of in the middle. It tends to have a lot of really good sailing days, especially in the winter. There's a lot of great days to come out. And San Francisco is the same way. But, you know, the winds are typically lighter. You know, the temperatures are very mild. The water is still pretty cold, but it's a
0: great place to sail. How do the temperatures compare to San Francisco Bay? Is it any warmer here, or do you still get the marine layer coming in? And you
1: we, we get a lot of fog here in the summer, yeah. it's true. The water, I think, is typically maybe... I don't know, three to five degrees warmer down here okay. um, than on the bay. We had some water temperatures that were like 65 earlier this year, which is pretty unusual. But mm. generally, it's in the sort of 58 to 61 yeah. Definitely range. Definitely no, not warm. No, it's not warm. But the sailing is great, and it's a, you know it's a smaller community. So one of the things that I love about Monterey is that um, both in my in my work. Um, in my day job but also in the sailing community you know people and you stop and say hi to people in the grocery store and that's something I never had in the Bay Area because uh, it's just so big and, yeah. and I just felt at some point when we got the opportunity to come down here that it would be a great place to raise kids um, and that has proven to be true. Um, there's just so many opportunities to get out and hike and be outdoors and sail and it's a, been a wonderful place and I love Monterey so That's great
0: that's great. And talk a little bit about who your intended clientele is. I'm Monterey is certainly a a tourist mecca with the yep. aquarium and with all the diving that happens here. Right, uh,
1: a number a number of different. Um, avenues i hope um obviously the tourists you know if people show up and they're interested in going out for a boat ride basically you know yeah. maybe they're folks that don't have much sailing experience but they think they'd be nice to go out on a nice boat on monterey bay maybe see some wildlife we have lots of otters that swim around here in the mm-hmm. harbor sea lions dolphins orcas we've had a lot of orcas this year a lot of whales so that's fun for people who are from out of town yeah. And then, you know, I do hope that it attracts also some folks that do have more sailing experience that are interested in either improving their big boat handling skills, whether that's just docking or sailing a bigger boat. Maybe they're trying to get to the point where they can bare boat charter themselves. I'm also hoping that there'll be some interest by some, some corporations or some companies that want to take their, yes. you know, treat their sales team or their, you know, their C-suite team to I think a next nice weekend.
0: big opportunity there in yeah. terms of leadership training. I know that USA 76 does a lot of that. Yeah,
1: right, exactly. Same kind of thing. Now, the limitation here, um, being an uninspected vessel, is that we can only take six. Okay. But I think that's okay, you know. I yeah. think six plus captain and crew, eight people on this boat is, is about right. You know, I do hope to try to explore those opportunities. You know, we have a couple of big events here every year. We have Car Week, which is coming up next month, yeah. and that culminates with the Concours, which is a huge event over in Pebble Beach. And there's just a lot of people that come into town for that. That yeah. might like to. You know, we could pull this boat up to. Um, to Stillwater Yacht Club, to the dock over there in Pebble Beach, which is right where the Concours is. Oh wow! We could load Great. people on and go out and do a sail for a couple of hours and come back. And there's a water taxi; they'll pick you know take you back and forth from the boat and have a really nice experience. Have some champagne and, you know, and I'm thinking that there might be a market for that. Um, and then longer distance stuff, you know, maybe two couples that want to go and spend a five or seven days on a boat and we can go down to the Channel Islands, spend a day or two in Catalina, spend a couple days out on some of the remote anchorages mm. and then like drop off in LA or San Diego and they can fly home from there. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, have some ideas for that. And then, you know, longer, longer trips. I'm hoping in the next maybe two years or so to do a Hawaii trip, um, you know, which on this boat would probably be about... I think around 10 days, 10 11 days yeah um without pushing it too hard
0: in one of the races or just
1: I've thought about that and you know the racing is certainly appealing for me cuz yeah. I'm I'm a racer and so I like that idea this boat I would say would might be okay for a, like a, for a Pacific Cup uh-huh. but I'm you know I'm still not totally sure about the idea of taking um, paying passengers, paying crew on a race like that that don't have a lot of experience. I, I worry a little bit about liability. Now, I know that there are there are companies that do it, and I need to learn more about how that works. Sure. But I
0: can, I can envision doing a Pacific Cup on this boat, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, there's definitely a lot of things to think about there, for sure. But I think as you get more confident, then maybe you can approach that. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how it develops. Let's talk about, because you mentioned you know, six people, is the max because um, it's an uninspected vessel. Do you have crew when you sail the boat, is it, or do you? Yeah. can you handle it yourself?
1: Uh, the, uh, the goal is to be able to single-hand it. Yeah. Um, right now, there's a couple of things about it that make that a little bit challenging. So I usually take a person with me, and then the two of us, two people, can quite easily handle it. Um, one person is still a bit tricky, so I have some changes I need to make in some of the running rigging. I'm going to convert over to a stack pack for the main and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So dropping, it, dropping the main is easier. It's a um, big sail. It's a big and it's a heavy sail because it's an offshore main with full battens and okay. stuff. So it weighs a lot. And uh, right now I have lazy jacks, which work, which work really well. But uh, it's really difficult to get the cover on because it's so high up there. You either have to go up in a bosun's chair or you have to kind of climb up. How about reefing? A reefing is is easy that was one of the things that we did um, when we were in the during the refit. we converted the reefing systems over to be to be very simple so it's not a you know it's just a, we have a strop at the tack okay and so we run the strop through the through the tack ring and mm-hmm. then back down with the shackle to a pad eye on the mast. What that does is it keeps the tack up a little bit higher so it's not as pretty as if it were all the way down at the bottom but it takes all the load off of the cars we have the offshore cars on the Uh, mast okay and typically if you have the tack all the way down uh, close to the gooseneck you have a lot one of those bottom cars is going to load up and get really ugly (laughs) because you're pulling out on it yeah exactly and so having the having the tack up higher actually um, takes care of that problem that was a little trick that uh, the yard told me about when we when we
0: did that's the. Good. That's good yeah. to think about. So that's something actually
1: I've never have thought. Yeah, about. I can. Uh, we can actually look at that today um, yeah. when we're out sailing. I can show you how that works, which is uh, that's been good. So reefing is is pretty and straightforward. And then the reefing lines we're, for the um, for the clew are um, are up forward of the mast. mast. Yeah. yeah, so you can do both attack and the clue from the mast. That's great. Yeah, I like that system. That's what. That's what I have as well. And I had a big dodger built for the forward cockpit. It's uh-huh. a it's a it's a twin cockpit design like a swan. So we yeah. have a forward center cockpit and an aft cockpit where the helm is. And the forward cockpit has a dodger over it now and I've had some cockpit cushions built and stuff for charter guests. Um, So that there's a place that's in kind of the center of the boat with the least amount of motion where you can be out of the spray, out of the wind. So for certain types of people that are, you know, don't want to have as sporty of an experience. Yeah, (laughs) it's a a great place place to hang out. I mean,
0: I I haven't been sailing on the boat yet, but I can see that it's, yeah, it's out of the elements, but you are up and have a
1: great view. So, in order to be able to single-hand it, I would want to be able to run the main halyard um, back to one of the primary winches, which are electric. Okay. And um, then I could, from the helm, I could just put my foot on the button and be able to hoist the main from the back of the boat, which I can't do right now. Mm -hmm. So, that's another change we have Mm -hmm. to make. Um, But, yeah, ultimately, the goal is to be able to do it myself. But I think for passages, I would definitely need to have a crew. And I have um, a very close friend of mine who's a sailor, and he's also a chef. Um, and he's very interested in coming along to on the Hawaii trips and doing all the food and stuff for the passage and then helping with the sailing. So I think that'll, be a, good, that'll be a good uh, partnership.
0: And he will certainly like the huge refrigerator, <laughs> refrigerators, I should say plural, that you have, I'm looking at right now. <laughs> it's a very original from the 80s, front loading. Those yeah, the galley
1: is uh, very well equipped. It has a, you know, a big stove and oven and a freezer and fridge and a lot of dry storage.
0: I love the little microwave from the 80s. Yeah,
1: yeah. We kept some <laughs> of the old uh, 80s vintage stuff in here, like the old microwave,
0: which works great. Hey, if it works. Yeah. Well, sailing-wise, you've gotten out on her a bit now. What are your first impressions of how she sails, how she handles?
1: Oh, our longest trip was the delivery from uh, Richmond to Santa Cruz. Yeah. And uh, we got into some breeze offshore, and, you know, it was blowing in the 30s, mid to upper 30s, and... The boat was super solid. I just what was, point of sail we were on. We were sailing downwind.
0: Okay, nice.
1: But the boat was really, really um, well mannered. Yeah, it wasn't squirrely at all. There's no real evidence of any kind of bad um, IOR characteristics or anything in the design. So the boat was very manageable. One of the big projects that we did during the refit was we had to change the rudder bearing, which had never been out of the boat, ah. and it was a huge project that it was uh, had a lot of damage to it. It was uh, just a lot of.
0: Was Corrosion. there a lot of play in it? Is that what made No, there wasn't to...
1: actually, but it was just all corroded in there. There was a lot oh. of electrolysis that had happened. And mm. so when we looked at it, we it just went, it was clear it needed to get uh, changed. And so yeah. getting it out was very challenging. It took a long time. A lot of uh, We had a lot of torches in there and a lot of tools and you know hammers and things that we were kind of trying to break it up as we got it out.
0: And um, this isn't a boat where you call up Catalina and say, I need a new rudder no, bearing for this boat. No. What, what do you guys have to uh, manufacture?
1: So we, we No, we went to Jeffa, which is a Danish company that okay. builds high-end, um, mostly composite um, rudder bearings, mostly for racing yachts. Um, yeah and uh we got a bearing from them it was actually the the part itself was not very expensive but there was a lot of labor to yeah. get the old one out and the new one in fortunately we were able to do it without having to do major surgery on the hull we didn't have to cut a big hole out of the hull or anything but it was still a quite a big project it took several weeks to get that out the old one out and the new one in mm. anyway uh that's a long way of saying that the, <laughs> we were very confident in the in the systems in the boat and in the, in the rudder you know in the And the bearing and stuff is always the thing that I'm the most concerned about. You know, when you go to Hawaii and you're halfway across and you start hearing
0: creaking and stuff in the rudder bearing, it's always just a real concern. I can't remember the number, but Jimmy Cornell has some statistic, like 90% of boats that are abandoned are because of the rudder. Exactly,
1: yeah. So we knew that we wanted a really heavy duty. You know, now we don't have to worry about it for another 10 years, right? I mean, we'll service it every couple of years, take it out. but but the, the part is solid and that's the way the boat is with all of its systems with the rigging now with the mast the engine had been freshly serviced when we got the boat it's a 135 horsepower volvo with a turbo so it motors at 10 knots if we need to nice you know? so we were really fortunate in that regard the boat sailed great you know we were doing 12 13 knots doesn't really surf you know too much unless you get a really big wave very comfortable i was amazed at how quiet it was it has a lot of insulation mm-hmm. in the hull. And so down below, there was no creaking, there was no slapping, there was no funny noises. It was just the whoosh of the water going That's past the wonderful. hull, which felt you really You were going good. downwind. We were going downwind. <laughs> we were not <laughs> slamming upwind, so, yeah. yeah. But even going upwind, the boat's pretty dry, has pretty high freeboard. It's quite comfortable. That's great. What haven't we touched on? What else would you like to talk about? The thing that I'm really excited about is my long-range plan with the boat. Yeah. And I think... Someday, if I could ever pull it off, I would love to spend the next you know, number of years developing a, you know, a really good list of clientele that are excited about the boat and the project like, like these other people do that are in the Caribbean on the East Coast, um, and put a goal together uh, to do a circumnavigation wow. where I basically you know, have legs that people can join. Yeah. And the boat <clears throat> spends a couple of years going all the way around, and people can fly in and join the boat for whatever leg they're most interested in. You know, like I have a, a dream that I really want to go to the Skeleton Coast in Namibia. And so maybe there's a leg from Cape Town to Rio or something like that where you stop off in Namibia for a week. And Tell me
0: about the Skeleton Coast. I don't know much
1: So about it's, yeah, it's, it's just a very, very remote um, coastline off the coast of Namibia, just north of South Africa. I've seen lots of pictures and video and stuff, and it's a spectacular-looking mm. area with just vast sand dune landscape and kind of a moonscape almost and um, a lot of boats have come to grief there over the years and so it's got a kind of an interesting history to it yeah it's just a place that i've always wanted to go and explore and it's kind of really really far away so yeah it feels like it's
0: sort of kind of the ultimate dream would be to make it there i was driving in the car two days ago with my four-year-old they always come up with the best questions and she said daddy daddy why do you like boats so much and i didn't have a ready answer <laughs> but uh i said to her i said two things you know i really like working on things yeah learning about and fixing and working on things and boats are a perfect vehicle for that They sure are but i and i said the second part is i just i really like traveling and going places and a boat is a wonderful way to be able to do that exactly and yeah. so that brings up that whole this could could be an amazing platform for
1: yeah for exploring uh, that's what i hope i mean that would be let's say it's you know six or eight years from now my son would be just sort of like either finishing high school or out of high school and it could be you know he could take a gap year or something and uh. come with me and you know my family the rest of my family could sort of fly in and meet me for different legs and also mix in you know some 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 guests you know some paying guests to help um offset costs and it would be kind of an extension of the shearwater sailing business i think um But that's just my long-term dream, so um, we'll we'll see.
0: You obviously have taken one dream, and we are sitting in the realization of it, (laughs) so I do not put it past you to (laughs) make these dreams come true. Kevin, thank you so much. This has been fabulous, and I very much look forward to sailing on this boat. Yeah, I'm excited to get you out on the water today. Yeah, good luck with everything. I'm sure we will talk again because I want to catch up and hear how it's all going. Great, look forward to that. Thanks, Ben. Well, I had a great time chatting with Kevin and was super impressed by Atalanta when we went out sailing for the day. She's a great boat, and he's done an amazing job bringing her back to Bristol condition. And you'll hear more about Shearwater Sailing in the coming weeks because I'm excited to announce Kevin will be sponsoring the Out the Gate podcast over the next few months. I'm really excited that he's going to be supporting the podcast and that I, in turn, can support his new business as he gets up and running. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, do leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts or reach out to me directly on Instagram at OutTheGateSailing or via email at OutTheGateSailing at gmail.com. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show, Until next time, smooth sailing.